0: It's Thursday, March 9th, 2023. Welcome to the Daily Scoop Podcast, where you'll hear the latest news and trends facing government leaders. I'm the host of the Daily Scoop Podcast, Billy Mitchell. Here's what's happening now. The General Services Administration failed to provide other government agencies with accurate information about the level of privacy protection provided by login.gov. GSA's Office of the Inspector General says the agency was billing other agencies for Identity Assurance Level 2 compliant services, even though the platform did not meet that security standard. Federal Acquisition Service Commissioner Sonny Hashmi says GSA has identified and addressed the issue and has also taken significant actions to strengthen login.gov. The Department of Treasury has a new chief technology officer. Nancy Seeger is leaving her current role as chief information officer at the IRS, where she formally held the role since February 2022 after carrying it out on an acting basis since 2019. Current Treasury Deputy CIO Jeff King will take on the role as IRS CIO on an acting basis. President Biden has nominated a new deputy chief of naval operations for information warfare, N-2 N-6, and director of naval intelligence. If confirmed, Vice Admiral Carl Thomas would replace Vice Admiral Jeffrey Trussler, who has had the role since 2020. Trussler will be retiring, according to a Navy spokesperson. You can read more about these stories and more at Fedscoop.com. Agencies across government are all navigating various IT modernization and application modernization journeys. Technology leaders are looking for ways to collect, manage, and analyze vast amounts of data generated during this process. Department of Labor Chief Information Officer Gundeep Alawalia joined my Scoop News Group colleague Wyatt Cash to discuss how he's doing this at his organization as well as making sure it's done securely.
1: We usually get equated to the unemployment uh, numbers report that comes out uh, every few Fridays. But we protect your 401ks. We are the largest processor of workman compensation claims in the country. We actually fly drones to inspect oil rigs. We inspect every active mine twice a year. Uh, transition assistance to veterans coming back uh, to from active duty is it a responsibility of Department of Labor, not VA. Uh, we uh, are the ones who. Uh, Uh, Our our, every cent of unemployment insurance uh, money that goes through the states uh, comes through us. We set the policy and work with the states to get it out, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So I think that diversity of mission areas, uh, and I like to point it out because that is unique in the Department of Labor. uh, And we bring all of the IT uh, uh, for, for this and bring all of the data into an enterprise approach. I do want to have have a shameless plug in the beginning. We are hosting the Federal Tech Day on May 18th. So I encourage you and uh, all your viewers to come and join us at the Department of Labor. I think it'll be a great show. We are trying to bring uh, uh, feds to come and talk about how these uh, different technologies are helping us uh, uh, meet our mission needs. Uh, so what challenges do we have, right? I think the biggest challenge uh, that is uh, not unique to the Department of Labor, I think it's an element of, one, the size of, of these departments, right? Two, also the evolution of different laws over time, right? So a law comes out and we create a database to respond to it, has been the Conventional way of, of doing business, right? And that has resulted in fragmentation of data. That has resulted in uh, uh, a lot of the agencies being unable to bring it together uh, in an enterprise manner, right? So I think that is one of the biggest challenges uh, that we have. My mantra and, and hope is that as we uh, uh, progress in our journey, is to serve the right information, convert that data into the right information, and serve it to the right person at the right time in a secure manner, adhering to privacy rules. uh, uh, And that is, each word in that sentence is extremely important in order for us to get around these challenges. And let let me give you an example of how important it is for us to have an enterprise approach. Right. I mean, we have we, I, I talked about the Transition Assistance Program uh, for veterans. Right. We also have the latest uh, 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 job opportunities by zip code in the in, uh, Bureau of Labor Statistics. Right. So there are immense number of opportunities for us to serve it up. And we also get information about the veterans returning from activity. So I know Um, uh, John Doe is from Ohio in this zip code and has been a helicopter mechanic coming back from, uh, let's say, Germany, right? So we can match what a helicopter mechanic can potentially do in civilian life if we start effectively managing our data at the enterprise level. Now, there are uh, congressional constraints sometimes on these programs, we can only collect and use the data for certain purposes, which is for for, for good reason, Congress has put some constraints on us, right? Uh, but there are there is an immense uh, opportunity and we have begun that journey in order to defragment our data and unlock that information to serve it to the right person at the right time.
2: Well, thank you for outlining the scope of the portfolio you manage, and um, I would love to follow up with that. In um, you mentioned um, uh, Bureau of Labor Statistics, um, how are you approaching the demands for data to move more freely and dynamically uh, across cloud environments and to other uh, organizations that want that data?
1: Yeah, no, that that is a a, um, a excellent question, Wyatt. And and and, and... That is a program that is very close to my heart and we have been paying a lot of attention. I don't know if uh, you know, but there was a TMF award for $9.6 million that was given to the department uh, for a part of that uh, conundrum. So we are modernizing our entire API infrastructure to make our open data more readily available so that I feel like sunlight is the best disinfectant, right? I mean, creating information out of this data that we are sitting on, we have finite amount of capacity within the department to do the analysis and understand. And so, what is vital is to throw this in the public domain, and allow for people uh, uh, to to data scientists to to find patterns to connect this data, these data sets. So we are revamping our entire public API infrastructure in order to for us to do that. So that's one side of the equation. But on the other side, we are also uh, investing in creating a cloud-based enterprise data platform where all of this data can be aggregated and, and within the confines of what we, we, are, we can or can't do legally, right? We want to free information out of that, right? The third area is very important to invest in is the cultural aspects of things, right? So that that is a a challenge as well. There are programs who have managed this as their data for decades and decades and decades, who are very, and rightfully so in certain cases, are very uh, 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 worried that people might go into this data and reach wrong conclusions or insights, right? So that is also an area where we are working with and creating capacity to move us culturally, uh, Mm -hmm. to start thinking just beyond the confines of a particular program and start taking an enterprise approach. Because at the end of the day, we are here for that retiree, that worker, that veteran, and they are the common thread that brings the DOL programs together, whether it's, whether it's enforcement areas or protecting people's 401ks or uh, workman compensation claims or any of the programs.
2: Well, the corollary about having data move freely uh, uh, kind of gets to our next topic of moving data securely. So talk a little please about where you're focusing your major efforts to protect the security of the data that's moving between IT systems and internally as well as to those operated by outside entities.
1: Yeah, so I think uh, uh, security is at the core of everything we do these days, right? Especially on a data there uh, 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 I, I think um, so so we are baking security into our application development uh, uh, we are baking security into our uh, network modernization we are baking security like I said in the enterprise data platform that we are building uh, we are implementing zero trust across uh, right up to the edge where the data is being consumed right so that is what uh, is extremely important uh, for us. And, and we have invested significantly, both by adopting modern cloud-based technologies, but also then also uh, adopting some of the, uh, the newer zero trust, uh, not only principles, but tool sets in order to implement that zero trust uh, and pivot from the old parameter-based approaches. And that allows us to tag data for, for, and protect it not only from unauthorized access, but against cybersecurity incidents as well. So we're trying to bake it into the uh, our data schema itself and then layer it up with uh, zero trust architectures.
2: Uh, next, I'd like to ask: In light of how rapidly technology is changing, right? How are you trying to strike a balance between achieving economies of scale and still preserving flexibility and choice as you move forward with IT modernization?
1: So, Wyatt, I'm I am very proud to say that we are one of those 24 CFO Act agencies where all of IT and application development is largely consolidated under the CIO, right? So we truly, uh, minus small pockets, uh, BLS being having special mandates, they are separate, but we have largely consolidated everything. That is great. We are reaping the benefits of consolidation. We are reaping the benefits of, but very often that is confused with stifling choice. And that is not the case. We are trying to find the right balance in order to consolidate and connect our application portfolio, start using low-code platforms, start uh, uh, developing the data or populating the data enterprise data platform or the warehouse from get-go by design, right? And then what we have done is it's my and I keep telling the team it's not about consolidating just to one tool because we all know how that works, right? We've had cybersecurity uh, cons- uh, attacks on against one tools or tool set, and that affects everybody, right? So we are large enough to consolidate and yet maintain diversity of certain low code platforms that allow us uh, uh, to to to. Uh, preserve choice and innovation uh, while not proliferating cost in an uncontrollable manner. So that's a dance we have. We are we are trying to to do. It is always a evolution, I would say, Wyatt, and we struggle on days. Uh, but we've we've done it fairly well thus far, and uh, uh, because of that, over uh, the last few years, uh, uh, through successive administrations. Uh, OCIO was given the mandate and we've been able to consolidate all of the IT uh, with OCIO. And then lastly, I'm curious your
2: thoughts on how, how do you view this state of relations between agencies and technology partners? Have, have they gotten stronger and more productive in the last couple of years? And how would you, what, what would you recommend would help unlock greater value in those relations?
1: Yeah, so I will say why that I feel that the vendor community, and I like to use the word partner community, not contractor community. I feel the word contractor is has a negative connotation that I do not like. Is vital to our ability to deliver our mission areas, and I'll tell you they are as passionate as the federal employees and believe in delivering for the American people. Uh, I can tell you our partner relationships have never been stronger and they continue to grow stronger. I really, uh, during the COVID pandemic, I mean, almost every partner that we have had came to us and said, hey, what can I do differently? What do you need today? Don't worry about it. Let's let's get together and get it done kind of uh, a attitude, right? And that, that is heartwarming. And, and that those relationships uh, continue. I understand there are contractual constructs that we have to comply with, but I truly rely on our partners to deliver the DOL mission on a regular basis. These relationships continue to get, get stronger. Here is a mantra that I will share with the partner community. Team up with each other to build solutions. Come to us with, hey, I can't do everything, but I can do these two things. Here is a partner I'm bringing with me who can, and, but together we can create a solution that is exactly what the Department of Labor needs in a particular mission area, right? That's the kind of teaming up that makes it even better for all the federal agencies to to work with uh, the vendor community. It's strong and it keeps getting stronger. Right?
0: You can learn more about the Department of Labor's IT modernization journey at the Daily Scoop podcast.com. IT Mod Talks is less than a week out. You'll learn more about the ongoing efforts in federal IT modernization, the continued move to modern cloud-based systems, and what's in store with emerging technologies like artificial intelligence. It's all happening Wednesday, March 15th at the Ritz-Carlton in Pentagon City from 830 a.m. to 1 p.m. You can find more information and register now at fedscoop.com. attend Sean Connolly is Senior Cybersecurity Architect and TIC Program Manager at the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency. In this highlight from the Zero Trust Summit presented by CyberScoop, Connolly explains how various federal cyber guidance documents play a role in shaping government cybersecurity.
3: All right, so I mentioned TIC, the Trusted Internet Connection Program. Uh, on the left, you see the OMB memo. Then you see the different guidance uh, there in the, in the middle and on the far right. These are the documents that we were releasing over the last four years the guidebook, the reference architecture, these have been coming out at a steady pace. Uh, The one that I wanna uh, talk about here on the next slide would be the cloud use case you see on the far right. But why are those use cases important? As the federal government's moving from the uh, uh, way we supported the Castle Moat solution for the last 10 years where it was more shipping the data, shipping the visibility where the centers were as agencies become more distributed, as the workforce is more distributed, it's key that we move the security closer where the data is, closer where the assets are. So that's why you say that branch office, remote user, and the cloud use case. The cloud use case, I think, is our, our, our most important document, the one that everyone's been waiting for, uh, but I'll talk a little bit more on the next slide. Before I go, though, I just wanna show one more thing at the bottom, the handbook, the overlay handbook. This is key for some of the vendors. Vendors come to us and ask, how can we support TIC? The Overlay Handbook's a way. Uh, what it is, is it's a framework for vendors to map their services to the TIC capabilities. This is the vendor's IP. We at CISA, we don't have too much involvement with it, so buyer beware if the agencies understand what these are. But this is a way for the vendor to show this is how we map to the TIC services. Um, I'll talk a little bit about the handbook in a second. So the next slide, the cloud use case. Uh represents IaaS, PaaSaaS, and email. This comes out of the OMB memo. Uh, we released the draft last June. Uh, the request for comment period generated over 300 plus comments. Number of agencies, vendors, academia, international partners, they all responded to it. Again, this is our largest use case. It has about 100 pages. I mentioned before from uh, a couple slides ago this cloud security technical reference architecture, the zero trust maturity model. A lot of those themes are in this document. And then also, uh, a theme that came out of the request for comment was having to added a cloud-to-cloud scenario. So aside from the IIS pass as email, there's new guidance on cloud-to-cloud connectivity. I uh, see release date spring. If you asked me a couple months ago, I thought it'd be out by now, but no. Uh, it's going to probably be another month or so, but it will be released soon. Another document I want to talk about, one second, I mentioned the overlay. Where the vendors can map their services to the different capabilities. That's this document, the capability catalog. This is a hundred plus capabilities. These are what important for TIC, important for the architecture. This is the this document, every time we release a new use case, we release a new catalog. So the new catalog that will be released in concert with the cloud use case has about 120 capabilities altogether. A lot of capabilities around identity, understanding the importance of identity towards zero trust understanding the IAM responsibilities or uh, services that are embedded in some of the different uh, cloud vendors. So a lot toward identity, obviously there's an email use case, there's a lot of email ones. Uh, one thing we're also doing is we're working with uh, Alper's team at NIST, the NCCOE, and their volume E where they're mapping their zero trust efforts to different frameworks. One of the efforts that we'll be mapping to is the, uh, our zero trust capability catalog. And again, this will be released in concert with the cloud use case in the next month or so, hopefully. Okay, the other document that is near to release is the Zero Trust Maturity Model. Uh, we released the first draft, the Maturity Model, in September of 21. Uh, since that time, we've been working closely with OMB as they go out with their uh, the Zero Trust memo and as they ask the agencies for their Zero Trust implementation plans. So all federal agencies were required to send in uh, their implementation plans. A lot of those plans reflected what we saw in that draft of Maturity Model. Um, and we've been using those discussions, those deep dives with agencies and with vendors and the greater community to help inform the second version of the maturity model. I mentioned I'm one of the board members of the TMF. This is another area where we see the value of the, uh, the Zero Trust maturity model. It's reflected in the agency's plans as they're sending proposals to the TMF. They'll tie back to some of the TIC capabilities or to the, Z, uh, the maturity model. And again, I was talking to before this, I thought we were going to release that maturity model before this talk today. Unfortunately, we didn't get it out, so it'll be again for real soon, but it'll be out here uh, shortly. Now, this slide's important. I mentioned Tick a lot, I mentioned Zero Trust a lot, and we're trying to shift the TIC program office, which has been around 15 years, to supporting Zero Trust greater. So, what this, doc, what this slide shows is how those di- different Tick capabilities. Map to zero trust, and this is our maturity model. Our maturity model, we have the five pillars, data, application, network, device, identity. We also have those cross-cutting capabilities you see at the top, governance, automation, and visibility. We've taken those 120 or so capabilities, and we've mapped them to each of those pillars, each of those cross cutting capabilities. And TIC is more of a network-focused initiative, So no shock that there's a lot of stronger alignment to the network environment, to the application-type pillars. There's a weaker alignment, if you will, to some of the automation, some of the identity and data pillars. So these are gaps we recognize that are in the TIC program. We're gonna address these as we move forward, uh, working with Krista Rush's team at OMB and how we may modernize or change TIC or what we do next. But we recognize there are gaps in the current solution. or understand what we do with the TIC program, At the same time, CISA is offering other services, other programs to help couple or uh, meet those gaps, and I'll talk about those now. The first one's team building. So I know Randy was up here earlier. Uh, They had their strategy and reference architecture uh, come out a couple months ago. I love the strategy because the first goal it talks about, it's not technical in the DOD strategy, it's talking about uh, culture, about advancing the culture of zero trust. Same thing here, how is CISA helping the agencies understand and advance zero trust, so team building. So first thing, uh, we've been working with Forrester on a cohort, the first cohort just was completed, it was about 10 different agencies uh, where they trained through and went through a course understanding how to apply zero trust into their agencies I think the second cohort's gonna be starting soon. There's already talk about a third cohort. If you're a federal agency, you interested in your agency participating, learning about Zero Trust with this training program, please reach out to our office. We'll make sure you have the correct information. We've also, again, the well, last year, CIS has hosted a number of CyberSTAT working groups. Uh, these working groups are usually attended by 500 to 1,000 people. They're large webinars across the spectrum of agencies. Um, and these, again, we've gone into a deep dive at each of the pillars. We also did deep dives into Zero Trust memo, these memo, going through each of the taskers and how the ways agencies can meet those taskers. Then another thing I'll just me, uh, mention is we also have a customer experience team now, going out talking to agencies, understanding their challenges, how they need to help, uh, help with understanding Zero Trust. One thing that's come back to us is we know that we have deep engagement with someone like this enterprise CIO, enterprise CISOs, what we don't hear is we're not hearing as much that some of our guidance is uh, getting down to like the bureaus, the component, the components those sub-organizations. So we're working with uh, our different stakeholders to make sure that our guidance is understood by the greater spectrum of stakeholders. Okay, now we'll get more into the technical stuff, the fun stuff. CLAW, cloud log aggregation warehouse. As agencies are moving from tick 2 to tick 3 as a more distributed architecture, it's, it's imperative that the agency understand their responsibility to participate in the CLAW program. Uh, CLAW is a distributed log ingest service, meaning we are taking cloud logs from different types of services and ingesting them. Right now, we have a presence in AWS. We just launched a presence in Azure, and GCP is coming next. So that's where, we, that's where we have a presence in terms of ingest the logs. The type of logs we're ingesting right now, I can see directory logs, audit logs, uh, some of the GCP, and uh, we're moving into SASE logs. One thing you may note there, we talked about the importance of identity. You don't see identity logs identified as what we're taking yet. We're moving up the tech stack slowly but surely. Uh, identity logs are on a radar for what we want to ingest at some point. Again, it takes time to move up that tech stack. Ideally, that's where you want to get to. Next one, SCUBA, Secure Cloud Business Application, uh, provides guidance and capabilities to secure agencies business applications. This is one of those gaps I mentioned before. We had gaps in some of the data pillar and some of the application. These are baselines that are available for agencies to be adopted. Uh, we have about eight baselines out for Microsoft, we have a number out for Google, and then also we have this, this tool, the Scuba Gear tool, which is on GitHub, and again, you can see it's a, uh, able to be adopted by the agencies. We have a number of vendors that were, or agencies that were working with on um, these pilot programs. One more, I wanna talk about protective DNS. Uh, The old E3A program, NCPS, was one way for DNS. This is a more modern DNS solution. Uh, I'll just highlight that this is a requirement for agencies to send their DNS data to CISA using this program. It also helps with the vendors, if they can talk to our uh, program to understand if they have any, like in their SASE solution or in their PaaS solution, there's DNS, talk to us to understand where they may be able to support uh, supporting the agency services, if you will, with DNS. I'm going to, I'm going to finish up with one more thing on uh, continued diagnostic mitigation, CDM. You can see we're working to realign some of the CDM efforts of uh, the broader CISA and Zero Trust initiatives, exploring how to prioritize some of the capabilities to address some of the uh, pillars. Again, I said there are gaps in tick. So we're looking at the data and application pillars from the CDM program. Some of the devices, there have been a large push for agencies to adopt EDR solutions and the CDM programs are a primary way for agencies to support that. Identity is another one, and I'll just finish it up on the network side. All this leads to visibility for CISA as it's our mission to have that broad federal perspective across the federal enterprise. So I'm just going to finish up. Why is zero trust important to us? We know some of these before, but reduce the attack service, improve the user experience. Improve the incident management. But where do we need help? First and foremost, go back to training, helping people understand what's going on. Uh, we love coming to uh, opportunities like this just to help explain our services and talk about zero trust in general. The guidance, there's a large call, I mentioned the customer experience. Agencies want more playbooks, more use cases, more details. How are other agencies doing it? We understand. We are coming out with some documents that help uh, the greater ecosystem understand how to both support. Your trust principles and then how it may have embedded the CISA services.
0: You can learn more about federal cybersecurity guidance at thedailyscooppodcast.com. The Daily Scoop Podcast is available on all podcast platforms. If you've already rated the podcast on your platform of choice, thanks so much. High ratings and good reviews of the show will help more people to find it. The Daily Scoop Podcast is a production of the Scoop News Group in Washington, D.C. James Mahoney and Carlin Fisher help put the show together, and the entire Scoop News Group team contributes. We'll talk to you again Tuesday afternoon. Until then, I'm your host, Billy Mitchell. Thanks so much for listening.